Hey guys, in case you haven't noticed, we are listening to one of my favorite bands on the planet. We are listening to Power Glove, and that's what today's show is all about. Look, I might be hungover, I might have had a bottle of wine last night, but uh, I cannot help but be excited about today's episode. I am doing a full music show today. It's all music, all songs from one of my favorite bands over the past, I don't know what it's been, like five years, a band called Power Glove. And I can't wait to introduce you guys to them. And I can't wait to uh, give you guys a Sonic episode. All Power Glove, all day. Right? Hopefully this comes out right before Halloween. This is perfect for that. Part of that new retrowave movement, which we'll talk about on the show. We're also going to talk a bit about horror movies. We're going to talk about stuff that I've been watching lately. And I'm also doing this on Instagram Live at the same time. So we will be listening to everything and doing everything together on today's episode of In Love With The Process. So without further ado, make sure that those fucking noise-canceling headphones are cranked way the fuck up today, guys. Because we are getting into it with Power Glove. Here we go. cool is that that is a new track from power glove and pilot called aeon i think i'm pronouncing that correctly um but i'm telling you man years ago uh, i got a little tired of metal let me be honest about it i got a little tired of metal music and um i kind of like lost i kind of lost direction when it came to music really did. And I was looking for something new. I was looking for something exciting. 
Uh, and a friend of mine introduced me to Justice. I don't know how many of you guys know Justice. Amazing uh, electronic band from uh, France, I think. They're definitely from Europe, but I think they're from France. Um, and they were like Daft Punk, but mean. They were just mean. And that first album, the one with the upside down Black Cross, that fucking album is so vicious and mean. And I love it. Uh, and so cinematic. And I instantly jumped into this electronic music scene. And before that, you know, working in a music store when I was a kid, electronic music was always kind of like douchebag club people. And that really wasn't my thing. You know what I mean? I wasn't that guy that was getting dressed up and fucking shaking my shit for ladies. <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, so most of the time I was associating electronic dance music with really crappy top 40 fucking singles and stuff. Um, and then Dab Punk came along and they did some really great stuff. Like uh, Spike Jones was directing all their videos originally. Do you guys remember those uh, original Daft Punk videos? The one with the dog mask, the guy in the dog mask that was like running through the streets of New York. I think it was New York. Yeah. And then uh, the fucking like uh, Michelle Gondry videos that were all in sync. Those were really cool. But Daft Punk was still kind of cheery and fun and disco-y, you know. Um, you know, and I was a metal guy, so you're not gonna, you're not gonna get me admitting that disco's cool. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so it was years and years later, like I said, I fell out of the metal world. I fell out of that scene just because I felt like it was so uninspired and there were too many fucking rules. And maybe a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was doing music videos and interacting with these guys. And there were a couple acts that, that I still enjoyed, but in general, I was just fucking bored with it. I think the last thing I listened to in that scene and not even the metal scene it was like the prog metal scene was Mastodon and Mastodon was doing some really fun and exciting stuff but then as soon as they start to break the genre a bit then they become prog metal which is progressive metal which is like in one way or another just seems less than real metal there's all these fucking rules in that world and so I kind of walked away from it for a while um for years actually and in the interim, like I said, I was introduced to Justice, and Justice was just fucking nasty. And I was hooked, and I wanted to find new and better stuff in that scene, that electronic scene. So I started to dig real deep into it, and I found bands like Carpenter Brute. Carpenter Brute is fucking phenomenal. If you guys haven't gone and seen Carpenter Brute live, I know Crude is in here. We've seen him live, uh, and it's fucking amazing. They They somehow figured out how to take that electronic sound that they did and fucking had a live band play it. Um, it was in super intense. Um, <clears throat> fell in love with those guys. Perturbator fell in love with those guys. Um, and I found this band called Power Glove. And I forget how I found them. I came to them, I think, from my buddy Tony. I think Tony was the one that found them initially. Um, and we were just listening to them non-fucking-stop. There wasn't a point in time that I didn't have Power Glove on, and they were such a huge influence on me and the music and the movies that I was doing. Like, this was right around the time that I was doing uh, the Punisher short that no one got to see. So the dead can't be distracted. And the music was influencing me so hard at that time because I wanted the, the film and the series to feel kind of retro. Now, this is... Look, I feel like that old guy saying this. This was before everybody was doing the retro thing. I think it was right around 
the time where Hobo with a Shotgun was just coming out, to get give you guys sort of like a, a point in time, a point of reference for this. Um, and I wanted this to feel like, wanted my version of the Punisher to feel like Terminator. You know what I mean? Like Kyle Reese from Terminator. That's what I wanted. I wanted that dark, like film stocks really can't handle low light yet. You know, like a lot of blue light, a lot of colored light, like a lot of 80s vibe. Total 80s vibe is what we were going for with it. And I remember listening to this song. And this song was a big influence on us for that piece. So get ready. Another Power Glove coming at you right now.
<laughs> what did I tell you? Bad fucking ass, right? Oh, can you imagine hearing that track for the first time? How crazy that is? I mean, it's just this... For, like, you just imagine that there are these two guys plugged into their laptops with, like, a Super Nintendo, and they're fucking just trying to get all these sound effects, and man, god damn it. And the song is mean. That low electronic bass stuff that they do through it, it's exciting. And I remember when I first heard these guys, I was trying to figure out why they were affecting me so much, right? Like, why was this genre really kicking me? And it really comes down to the fact that when I was a little kid, you know, when I was 13, 14 years old, the movies that were scary to me then were movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, The Thing, Terminator, all these films that were dark and scary. You'd go to the video store and you'd see these posters. You'd see like these amazing illustrated posters with like a machine, like a machine, polished machine skull looking at you with these beady red eyes, right? Can you imagine how fucking scary that was to like a 12-year-old kid? <laughs> and then when you watch the movie, they just felt so dangerous, so fucking dangerous. And you know what? All the movies from that time period felt fucking dangerous, like really dangerous. We just watched for the first time I saw, what was two weeks ago? No, two nights ago. I saw The Witches for the first time. Have you guys seen The Witches? It's a fucking Jim, Han it's a fucking Jim Hansen joint with Muppets and shit like that. It's an amazing fucking movie. Amazing movie. Hold on a second. Let me pull this up while I'm talking. Very fucking scary. And it's a kid's movie. Hold on as I... As you, as you can tell, I haven't done any prep today. <laughs> uh, okay, so they've just remade it, which is fucking trash. So Robert Zemeckis just remade it. It's going to be on HBO called The Witches. But the original was done in 1990, right? It stars Angelica Houston, and she's pretty badass in it. Uh, and essentially the whole idea, it's a fucked up movie. It's a kid's movie. I'm gonna, spoiler alert, I'm going to give a lot of it away here. The movie starts with this kid, and his grandmother is telling him a bedtime story about women, these witches that smell little children and hate their smell. They equate the smell of kids to dog shit. <laughs> That's what she says to this kid before bed. There are these women out there that have square feet, square toes, and uh, if they smell you, uh, they want to murder you. And their main mission in life is to get rid of children. And she tells stories about her friends that were taken away by witches and they never were to be seen again. That's where the movie starts. Then the kid's parents die. Okay, big time spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie. Then the kid's fucking parents die. This is a movie for kids. So then the kid's parents die. Right? And then the grandmother takes the kid on a trip to a hotel that there's a giant witch convention in and the witches are killing kids. <laughs> it's awesome. And it, there's all these really cool transformation sequences, all practical effects, which are super fun and really cool to watch. Uh, the kids turn into mice. And it's this mix of like really dark Jim Hansen shit, like uh, dark crystal kind of stuff. And so can you imagine, you know, being a parent that sees the video on the shelf and it's just like, oh, the guy that does like, Muppet Show, all right, cool. 
And Angelica Houston, okay, I know her. She's great. And the cover's cool. And there's like a little mouse on the cover. Fuck yeah. And then you put that movie in. I miss that shit. This something about being scared as a kid when you watch movies. Something about that world. And that created me. That created a lot of my peers. That created a lot of directors that we know and love right now. You talk to anybody and they love that shit. Mm. And how... Oh, bear with me here, because at the same time, you listening at home who weren't tuning in to me on Instagram, people are writing to me here on Instagram at the same time. Let's see. My uncle is terrified of the shark from Jaws. Of course he is. That movie was fucking terrifying. Watership Down from 1978 also absolutely terrified me as a child. These movies weren't made for kids, but they kids could watch them. That's what's so great about it. There hit a point in time where this generation grew up and started to have kids and they were like, my kids are too fucking timid and they're not willing to look at these things. It's going to ch- change them for life. My, my dad used to say to my mom, who would take me to see Die Hard and like Lethal Weapon and stuff, he used to say to her, like, he's going to grow up and be a fucking serial killer. And my mom was like, no, no, no. It's because we're going to go see this movie together. We'll talk about the violence in the movie, but it's fun. And these movies are fun and these movies are entertaining. And that's it. And I grew up to be a serial killer. My dad was right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. So how, does this, how is this relevant, Michael? I know that's what you guys are asking. We're listening to a show about power gloves. So how is this relevant? Well, let's get back to my point here. I was asking myself, why did this shit resonate with me so much? And I did a little digging at the time because I'm an old man. I did some digging. And it was like, okay, well, what is this scene, right? And this scene is part of what they call synthwave. For those of you who don't know what synthwave is, I hope there are a bunch of you who don't know. I hope there are a lot of you listening to the show that are like, this music's really fucking rad. What are we into? It's a whole scene and a whole movement called synthwave. And let's do this. I'm going to play you another track. Let's play another song from my guys here. I'm scrolling through looking for a good one. And after we play it, we'll talk about Synthwave and what Synthwave is. Oh, here's a, here's a favorite of mine. You guys will dig this one. Here we go. You ready? And play it. Now, let's work the upper body with some push-ups. We'll use five different hand positions. Let's start with normal grip, shoulder width.
stomach and our abdominal muscles. Flip on your back and get ready for stomach crunches. say man pretty cool right uh if you uh, haven't figured it out yet that is made with samples of the amazing Dolph Lundgren right Dolph Lundgren for the young kids uh the creepy old Russian guy from the Expendables uh but from those of us that grew up knowing who he is uh he's from Rocky bad guy and what was he Rocky 2 was he Rocky 2 or Rocky 3 I think Rocky III was when he went to Russia and he fought Dolph Lundgren. Um, but uh, amazing um, actor, action star from the 80s. 
uh, scientist. Like he was like a PhD and so he had like a PhD in some sort of science. Uh, super smart guy. And it's ironic that he would just play these fucking muscle bound Arnold Schwarzenegger rules. Uh, but that uh, track is off of Power Glove's first EP. So their EP one, which was put out in 2012, believe it or not. Um, and uh, that was the tr- that track was called Maximum Potential. The track before that was one of my favorites. The first track that I had heard, uh, Streets of 2043, which is amazing. Uh, and uh, like I said, before we went and listened to some, tr- some music, that uh, this is part of that synthwave, new retrowave, future synth movement. Uh, and one of the reasons why I really fell in love with it is because... It's uh, based on the music associated with action science fiction and horror film soundtracks of the 1980s. That's it. Other influences are drawn from that decade's art and video games. Synthwave musicians uh, often uh, are mixed in a nostalgia from the 80s culture and attempt to capture the era's atmosphere and celebrate it. How can you not fall in love with that, right? And yes, I'm reading this off of Wikipedia right now. (laughs) (laughs) because I didn't want to fuck it up, but uh, that's it, man. I was in, I was in, I was hooked immediately. And like this first EP was really fun and exciting. uh, And I had to look for these guys and I did uh, the research online and I was like, okay, who's Power Glove? When you look them up, there are two different bands that are Power Glove. If it's Power Glove, one word, it's this weird metal band that aren't that good. Uh, And they're out there type in Power Glove two words. And at the time when this EP was out, there wasn't that much information on these guys. I don't know who they were. There were rumors that they're from Australia, but uh, I loved them completely. And I was hunting them down because I wanted to use some of their music for that Punisher short I was doing. They were really hard to get in touch with at the time. So I had to just sort of love their stuff, you know, had to just play it and love it and and let it influence me. Um, years later, it was many years later that they put out uh, more work, right? And uh, actually, before that happened, for those of you who are video game nerds out there, in 2013, I remember this, in 2013, uh, do you guys remember when they released Far Cry 3? Like, how many of you guys are video game nerds, right? Raise your hands. Everybody in the room, raise your hands. Okay. Um, remember Far Cry 3? They put out that special edition, that Blood Dragon edition, which was like very 80s based, a lot of like neon pinks, like strange 3D environments, that 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 version. Yeah. Well, they got, they hunted down Power Glove to do the entire soundtrack for that video game. That was a big moment for this band. And I didn't know that right away. It took a little while for me to find that out. And it's a pretty amazing video game soundtrack. If you guys haven't heard it yet, definitely go check it out. Look it up. It's Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. Um, And uh, it's all video game score stuff. So the people that have been watching me do the show live here on Instagram have all said that this feels like an arcade game. This feels like video game stuff. At this time, that's what they were doing. Very much that sound. Um, And so they got hired to do it for a video game company. And it was a pretty good job for them, I think. Um, but then after that, let's fast forward a little bit here through time. They actually put out a couple of new EPs, 
um, and they put out a new album. So they had a second AP, EP out in 2015, um, which had great tracks like Motorcycle Cop on it. Here, I'll give you a sample of this. This was their 2015 EP2. Let's see here. Their sound changed a little bit.
So as you can see, or as you can hear, these guys got a lot meaner. So what does this track make you think of, right? What kind of movies does this make you think of? Strangely for me, this makes me think of a lot of sequels from the 80s. This is like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, right? This is uh, Halloween 2 for me. There's something about it that's just nasty. It's also a little bit of like early 90s, like Steven Seagal shit. <laughs> Like marked for marked for justice or above the law, whatever the one was that he fought the Jamaican guys. The whole movie was that if you're from Jamaica, then you killed chickens and you needed to be murdered with a shotgun. You remember that movie? <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, love that track. These guys got meaner and nastier. So when this EP came out, I was like, fuck, this is cool. This is really cool. And obviously, they're a bit influenced by what they were doing for the video games, but. They were actually transcending their sound, transcending their vibe and making it into something new because it's very easy. There's a lot of like any sort of subgenre, any kind of scene. You have the people that create that scene and you have the people that play in that scene, right? And it's very simple. There's a lot of like new retro wave bands out there, synth wave bands out there that kind of do the same thing all the time, right? They're kind of playing around with video game sounds and all that shit and they really don't change. They don't evolve. And the thing I liked about Power Glove, and the thing I still like about Power Glove, is that they seem to be evolving. And they seem to be taking what works, which has always been this like sinister, dark tone, and making it into something new. Right? Let's see, what's people saying here on Instagram right now? I am stalking someone through a rundown downtown city. Yeah, totally. Someone else says, drive... Nightcrawler Thief from the 80s. Completely. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the scores from the 80s. Big band from the 80s that would score a lot of stuff was Tangerine Dream. I think Tangerine Dream did the Thief score. I think they were the ones that did the Thief score. Tangerine Dream was all synth and Moog-based stuff. And this is around that period of time where synths came in and people started to figure out that these... Weird little gearboxes and weird little switches that would make these noises and repeat these noises and were really cool ways to make music, right? So you had bands like Tangerine Dream banging stuff out, right? You had um, the score from fucking Blade Runner, right? Vangelis, amazing score that influences this scene, right? And you bring up a good point. The comment here of Drive... Like, Nicholas Ruffin was completely influenced by a lot of this stuff. And that Drive soundtrack had a lot of that vibe in it. Remember when Ryan Gosling's driving his car through the streets of uh, New York at night and you just have that low... Right? As soon as you start hearing that shit, you know it's going to be fucking cool, man. All these elements really making the scene a fun place for me. And when I listen to this music, it doesn't just get my 
heart pumping. It doesn't just get my stomach turning, right? But it gets me thinking about stuff. It gets me thinking about scenes. It takes me into these worlds. What is this like? And I know visually how it looks when I hear this stuff. I was hooked, 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 hooked. I can't say enough good things. And if you guys are just tuning in here on Instagram Live, uh, you're in for it. I am doing an entire episode on Power Glove. I guess it's kind of a history episode on the band called Power Glove. Named after a Nintendo accessory. How many of you guys actually had a Power Glove? It was one of those fabled things that one of my friends had. And it was not really working all the time either. It was kind of schlocky tech, if I remember correctly. And there was only a couple of games that you can use the glove with coolly, you know? Uh, let's see, what else is going on here? Is this under the EDM genre? I wouldn't say that this is EDM. Uh, EDM, to me, comes with a whole lot of drugs uh, and dumb kids. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. I, this is not EDM. I would say that this is more uh, a subgenre. Like I said, it's called New Retro Wave. It's called Synth Wave. Um, it just, it's more of a nerdy genre than I think EDM. Well, EDM is nerdy in its own way. It was just never my thing. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I was never that guy that went to dance clubs. I was never that guy that went out, um, you know, and, uh, took ecstasy. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but back into... I'm sorry. I'm also reading these comments here. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, let's get back into the show. You guys, you guys can fuck off for a minute. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk a bit about horror because that movie sort of makes, or that song makes me think of John Carpenter, right? There's an element of that John Carpenter sinister in that track. And uh, for any of you who have watched John Carpenter movies like Halloween, have seen The Thing, The Fog... Um, Carpenter does all his own scoring. Sometimes he works with great composers, but at the end of the day, he's still completely involved with making tracks to the point where he's kind of retired as a director, although I've heard rumors about him directing two new versions of They Live for Amazon. I've heard rumors of this, but he's been retired as a director since he did The Ward, which by the way, was written by my two pals, Sean and Mike Rasmussen, who was on, they were the guys that wrote Crawl, the recent Crocodile movie. There's an episode, go back further through our catalog and listen to the episode uh, with them talking about working with John Carpenter on my show. But that was his last big Hollywood piece. And I think that was even an independent, but that was his big last Hollywood film. And then since then, uh, I think him and his son and a few other collaborators have just been putting out albums because there's such a rabid fan base for the John Carpenter sound, for the John Carpenter scores. And you would be lying completely if you said that he did not influence this scene. It is, his work is completely... Tra it's, it's in every bit of uh, Synthwave. It really is. And so when I listen to that track... I think of his horror movies. And I think that's a good transition for us to talk about horror movie stuff right now. 
What are you guys watching for horror for? It's October, man. So what are you guys watching for horror right now? Uh, I've been doing a lot of research uh, into horror movie stuff because uh, Will and I are working on a few new things and we're looking for new ideas. Um, and we've been playing around in the monster in a house genre. So for those of you nerds out there, you filmmaking nerds, if you've read the Save the Cat book series on how to format a movie and how to format a script, uh, then you will recognize the monster in a house genre. And certain films that uh, supposedly fit into this genre uh, are like, uh, obviously, Jaws, Alien, uh, you know, any of the home invasion movies, Halloween, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, all that stuff fits into that genre. Man, I'm happy that Gina likes to leave the house so fucking loud. Um, but uh, what are you watching? What's your favorite monster in the house genre these days? Um, I'm looking for some new stuff. It's really tough right now because we're still in COVID and we're dealing, finally getting to the point where the uh, productions have dried up. So we've hit sort of this lull of releases, right? So there hasn't been a ton of new, really great horror. There's been some stuff that is interesting. And I'm not saying that I haven't seen pieces that are, that are fascinating, but I don't know. It just seems too commercialized, you know? Like they're hit a point where cinema, cinema hit this divide, right? Because it's all about making billions now. So like you're either doing a superhero fucking giant tentpole piece that you're blowing 165, 200 million on to make a billion, right? And that's a business strategy. Or you're doing the other strategy, which is I'm only going to do a $2 million and under horror movie and then make $100 million on that, right? It seems like everybody's hunting for that big fucking pile of cash. And the process of that, and to get it to that point where you have found a lottery ticket that you're scratching, you have to appeal to such a mass audience. There's a mass appeal that's needed for this. And so movies and horror movies can't be dangerous anymore. You can't be completely dangerous. Now, this is me generalizing this statement. There are a lot of uh, directors out there in independent companies that are producing really fun and dangerous stuff. A big shout out to my buddies over at SpectreVision. Those guys are doing that, man. They're putting out dangerous stuff. Have you obviously you've seen Mandy, Color from Out of Color from Space? Have you seen the trailer for Arc Enemy, the new movie? Uh, and he, and Daniel isn't real. Was great too. They're putting out content that feels like it should have and oftentimes does have music from this scene as a score, right? Look at the score from Mandy. Huge. Another huge influence, this horror stuff. A lot of these scores, a lot of these musicians that come out of this new retrowave scene go into that and start putting out really great soundtracks. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's weird, man. It's, a, it's fascinating how media has just become this sort of ancestral pool of creativity, right? So you have the stuff that guys my age, guys and girls my age, grew up and they were scared by, right? And so at that point, what am I, 42 right now? So I'm about the age of most of the people making big stuff right now. 
right? Probably a little bit older than me. So they grew up loving, like I said, Nightmare on Elm Street. They grew up watching the fucking A-Team, the Goonies, like all that shit. They're influenced by that. And so then those films come back in and influence those filmmakers. Now these musicians that love that stuff are also taking those scores and bringing those back in. And then those are becoming influenced. And then you got someone like Nicholas Refen that finds really cool new retro wave tracks and puts them in his movie. And so then it starts to blend even more. And now people are, uh, like how many people want to recreate the dry fucking soundtrack when they do a fucking crime piece? How many times have you watched the television show where it's like, obviously, you watch Drive, right? It's crazy. It's crazy how this fucking scene works this way. It's crazy how this industry and this art field, and I think it's just because we're children of television. Multiple generations of children of movies and children of MTV and children of, uh, of TV, you know? And, and it's just swirling and swirling and swirling. And so to bring me back to my point as I go off on a fucking crazy tirade, to bring me back to my point with new horror movies, it's really difficult to say something scary. It's fascinating. And being someone that is in the business of, of uh, developing horror movies right now, it's really, really fucking crazy. When you hear the set of rules, like, like terms that you can put in the script and what you can say in the script and what you can't say in the script, you know? You're allowed to say Satan. You can't say Satanism. Like shit like that. It's like, why? <laughs> and then if you write something that is too scary, right? That doesn't follow the formula that this guy wrote in a book about a cat in a tree. If you're not following the exact formula with this stuff, it's hard to get them financed. It's hard to get money into them because people are looking for big returns. And there aren't a lot of... Uh, producers or distributors rather out there or financiers out there that are just looking to appeal to a smaller audience. Everybody's looking for that big fucking paycheck. So horror movies tend, like at least big, bigger horror movies, big budget horror movies, tend to be the safest things on the fucking planet. So I ask you this, listening to the show, and those of you here that are following me on Instagram Live, leave me some comments and leave me some of your suggestions. But those of you listening to the show, uh, continue to follow me on Instagram, at Mike Petchy on Instagram or the podcast, I Love the Process Pod on Instagram, and send me some messages. What are your favorite dangerous fucking horror movies, recent dangerous horror movies? Now, like I said, SpectreVision's putting out a lot of great stuff. A24 does a lot of really good stuff too. And I know a lot of you are going to be like, Hereditary. Yeah, sure, Hereditary did have some dangerous moments in that movie. I completely agree. I also often, when I went and saw that movie, you know what? Here's the truth of it. When I went and saw that movie, I was also pitching movies at the same time. And here's what happens in Hollywood. When something goes out and it's going to be successful, quote unquote successful, and Hereditary didn't even do that well in the box office. It just had a lot of buzz prior to it, right? Because the critics liked it. And the industry liked it. And so we went out that week to pitch an idea. And every fucking office we went into, every place we went into, they were like, is it hereditary? Have you seen hereditary? Hereditary is so fucking amazing. And I'm like, I've seen Rosemary's Baby. And I've seen The Exorcist. I've seen those movies. Which to me are more scary than hereditary is. 
which were also made in a time period in the 1970s where they were allowed to be dangerous. They had to be dangerous. Think about that revolt that happened in the 70s, right? Easy Rider was kind of the, the tipping point for it. Where prior to that, what was Hollywood making, right? Huge fucking like epics, right? They were doing uh, Cleopatra and they were doing fucking huge Westerns, like big ass epics. What does that sound like? Does that sound like a Hollywood that's doing, I don't know, big ass fucking uh, comic book movies and epics there, right? So this happened before. I think there's a quote of Spielberg talking about it. I've seen this before, right? And so the result of those epics, the result of cinema just getting stale and boring was the whole movement that happened in the 70s. That's where you got the Coppola. That's where you got the Lucas. That's where you got the Spielberg. That's where you got the Scorsese. Those guys came in and they were breaking rules and they were doing it dangerously. And a lot of those guys came from the indie world. A lot of them worked for uh, Roger Corman, right? Those of you who are like, Roger Corman, why is that name familiar? Infamously, the most famous uh, independent film producer, period, Roger Corman. And he did everything. He worked on all sorts of different cheesy (laughs) horror movies, but he worked with some of the best, and he helped develop the careers of some of the best filmmakers and the best actors in the business. There's a real trashy horror movie out there um, with, uh, oh my God, my brain just fucking shut off. Oh my God. He played the Joker. And as good as it gets, why the fuck did my brain just shut off? You know why, guys? Because I finished a bottle of wine last night. Last night we were celebrating um, because Gina uh, just finished most of her campaign for B. Miller. So I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but if you guys haven't seen it yet, go check it out. I'm incredibly proud of the work that Gina's done. She did how many music videos? Like seven music videos. Plus we did six lyric videos. Plus she designed all her merch. She designed all her photos, all her social media campaign. She designed her, her live shows, um, her pay-per-view episodes. Like, it was insanity. Six months worth of fucking work. Uh, and we're almost done. I think we only have, at this point, when I'm recording this episode, I think we have one more music video to edit. Um, but uh, I'm incredibly proud of her. The work is really phenomenal. If you guys haven't seen it yet, go check it out. Go to bmiller.com. That's B-E-A Miller.com. Check it out. Follow B on Instagram or follow Gina's company's website, which is Gisella. That's G-I-Z-E-L-L-A. Uh, she's on Instagram as well. Uh, it's pretty amazing to see what she's done. And she's created this company that essentially redefines icons. That's her move. Redesigns everything from the ground up. Um, and I'm really proud of her. I'm happy to have been able to help her with a lot of the work. Excuse me as I burp. Oh, fuck. Uh, let's see. What's going on here? Damn, Gina. Yes, people on Instagram are liking what you did. The Terror is the name of that movie. Uh, and uh, oh, my God. I am. My brain is so fucking fried right now. Hold on a second. Jack Nicholson. I didn't even have to type it out. Jack Nicholson is who I was thinking of. Was in The Terror. That movie. Look it up. 
Really trashy old horror movie done by Roger Corman. Uh, really great stuff. Um, let's see what else is going on here on Instagram. Hello, sir. Give me suggestions about horror movies. Uh, okay. So let's play another track. And after we play this next track, we'll talk about the movies that I have been listening to or watching rather lately. Uh, but in the meantime, let's get back to Power Glove and let's fast forward a bit, right? Let's go to 2019. These guys, it takes them a while to put out albums. It takes them a while to put stuff out. Uh, and this one just came out last year. I didn't know it came out. And they've changed their sound again. And what I like about what they've done is uh, in the intrum on, on their, in between their EPs, they do a lot of remixes. They work with a lot of different uh, musicians and acts. And uh, they make really great tracks. And they sort of brought some of that sound into their new album. And I fucking love this song. Love this song so much. I'd love to use it in a movie. I know those guys are listening to this episode, so at some point we should talk. But here we go. Let's hit it up with her new track, Secrets.
talk about a change in sound, right? So that was uh, Ella Thompson. They worked together on their new album, uh, Power Glove, and I think it's called, hold on, stand by, I don't want to fuck it up, Payback, or Playback, rather. See, I knew it, fuck it up. It's called Playback, and I love that track, right? It still has that deep, dark, sinister sound that Power Glove is known for, but it's cinematic in a different way. I've got a couple movies that, fuck, man, that is the vibe of it right? I feel like that's almost like a Michael Mann sound, right? Like it, that would be a track that would be in like collateral. You know what I mean? And speaking of movies, we're back. We're going to talk about some of the horror films that I've been watching. We've been talking, let's talk about the list of movies that I've had for homework this month in October. But before we get to that, what is going on here on Instagram live? Talk about a change of direction for this song. Yes. Thank you so much. Love from India. Well, love back to you guys in India. Uh, Thanks for listening to the show. It's crazy to think about the fact that there's somebody in India sitting here listening to this hungover piece of shit talk about his favorite band. (laughs) I appreciate everybody that listens to the show. And like I said, we got fans worldwide. It's crazy to me. Blows my mind. Mm. Let's see. Let's see here. What else have we got? Do you wish life was better than it was years ago instead of worse as it is in the... Em- what? Of worse as in the Emperor isn't in the Rise of Skywalker and coronavirus never existed. I see what you're trying to say here. So do I wish that the Emperor wasn't in Rise of Skywalker? I don't care. I know know that that's such a fucking like controversial statement, but look, the sequels weren't for me. They weren't made for me at all. They had tastes of stuff that I like to try to get me in there to see it, but they're not made for me. They're made for a whole new generation of folks. And it's completely obvious that they're not because the sequels essentially are the same thing as the original films, right? The same structure, the same formula, although uh, Ryan's movie in the center, uh, I'll give that some credit because he was trying to be different, but those movies aren't made for me anymore. And I don't even know if the originals were my thing anyways. And I know, oh, gasp, oh, fuck. You know, oh, yeah, I mean, the hot stuff was great and the snow fighting and the speeders was really cool. Um, But I wasn't a Star Wars junkie like everybody else was. I was more of a, what was my thing? Well, the thing was my thing, you know? Or uh, Die Hard. Die Hard was more of my thing. Um, The action movie stuff, Predator, was more of my thing than Star Wars was. Those movies mean more to me than Star Wars does. I have still have a shelf full of Blu-rays and DVDs, and I don't have Star Wars on that shelf. Gasp. Fuck. God damn it. Yeah, I mean, it's the truth of it, dude. Like, it, I those movies are fun. I enjoy them. I love Harrison Ford. He's amazing. But I like Indiana Jones more than I like Star Wars. I like all his Indiana Jones films a lot more than I like Star Wars. And I dig Harrison Ford as an actor. And the, the cast of Star Wars is fantastic. And the effects in Star Wars are amazing. 
All that stuff's really great. But I wasn't the kid that went out and bought the fucking toys. I didn't have like the giant millennial falcon that I can walk into someone's place and be like, look what I got for Christmas. I didn't have that shit. You know? I mean, it wasn't because we grew up without cash. It's just there were four of us. So there were four kids in my family. And so um, I think more than anything else, I couldn't get the big toys because then the rest of them would all have to get big toys. <laughs> but I'm fine with it. And actually, I'm okay with not sort of being part of that audience. And I'm not dogging on the people that love Star Wars. I'm not dogging on the people that really enjoy that genre. And the thing I like about the Star Wars universe, actually, my favorite shit in the whole Star Wars universe uh, is the animated Clone Wars series. And I like a lot of the stuff that comes out of the prequels. Oh my God, who is this guy talking to you? Yeah. I mean, they didn't come together, right? But at least they were made by a singular filmmaker. And at least he was trying to tell us something new. Hmm? Right? You know, he was talking about how governments work in the galaxy. And he was talking about, like, politics and a lot of that stuff was what we're going through. You know... It, it, sure, it didn't happen perfectly. It didn't come together 100%. But he, he was also testing new technology that we're all fucking using now. You know what I mean? Like one of the first guys to be shooting everything digitally and then replace green screen. We wouldn't know that it sucks to act on a green screen if he hadn't done those movies. Right? So, you know, he got a lot of fucking flack. George Lucas got a lot of shit from his fucking loving fans for those movies. And that's one of the reasons why he was like, I'm out of here, motherfuckers, and sold that shit. Right? You guys beat the fuck out of him. Those listeners out there that are fucking Star Wars fans, you beat the shit out of that poor guy. And this is a dude that was making the toys of your youth. Right? And there isn't a second that goes by that George Lucas doesn't say that these are movies for kids and doesn't admit to the fact that they're advertisements for fucking toys. And what did he do with those millions of dollars that he spent or that he earned on the toys that you guys all bought? He built amazing companies like uh, ILM, right? The special effects company that made ugh, almost every fucking movie that we love from our youth from the 90s to 2000, even now, right? Lucas Sound, the advancements that George Lucas made on video editing, and film editing, and nonlinear edit systems. That all came out of Lucas. The stuff that we use as filmmakers, most of it comes from the, him. And how did he finance all that stuff? On toys, with toys, Millennium Falcons, all that shit. That's how he did it. Super smart businessman. The weird byproduct of this is that he had an entire generation, multiple generations that were in love, love, love with his toys and with his stuff. But when he tried to change it up, the movies don't belong to you. They belong to us. I love that fucking argument. Like we've done something. <laughs> like we've earned those movies. I went and I saw them, so now they're mine. Fuck off. They're George Lucas's. That poor son of a bitch spent how many years of his life working on Star Wars movies? And then when those prequels came out and everybody fucking strung them up. You're ruining my life, man. You're ruining my childhood. You're taking away my dreams. I get it. Your parents weren't around. You were raised by fucking TV. They, they plopped you down. They put the fucking Star Wars back in there again. And your babysitter was Han Solo. 
I get it. But what the fuck, man? At some point, someone needed to tell you that it's just a movie. It's entertainment. And if you look beyond that, if you get out of your little cage, your own little personal space, and you, you look at it and you go, oh, wow, someone made this. This is somebody's thing. This came out of their mind, and this is what they spent their entire life doing. And they gambled everything on this. Every time you gamble everything whenever you do a big movie. So for people to string them up, I would have fucking sold it too. You know, you're lucky he sold it. I probably would have been a lot more bitter than him. I would have been like, it's all going in the vault. I own it. Close. Done. No more. What a fucking rant that was. I don't know what that, I don't know what triggered me on that. Preach. That's what they say here on Instagram. Let's see what's going on. Uh, let's see if people let's see if I piss people off. Love that one. Thank you. Uh, leaving a podcast review, right? Some people have been having trouble leaving reviews for the podcast on uh, Apple Podcast. I don't know what's going on. I appreciate you attempting to do so. If you've been trying to leave a review on Apple Podcast and you haven't been able to get it through there, write to me on Instagram. Let me know. Uh, I want to know how many people are having trouble with this. Some people are agreeing with me. I got a lot of agreements on the Star Wars thing. Uh, will you please give me some suggestions about cinematography? I know you're from India uh, experience. Okay. There'll be another show about that. We'll do a whole nother show about cinematography today. We're talking about power glove. We're talking about movies we loved growing up. We're talking about the movies that influenced that genre, the genre of new retro wave synth wave. Excuse me. God, man, I'm fucking, I'm so fucking hungover today. Excuse me. Get, Ooh, that was a burp. Does your love for food and film ever overlap? Yeah. Is there a foodie film which you love or a favorite food to eat while watching a banger? Well, okay. All right. Here's a couple great stories. Favorite uh, foodie film, Chef. John Favreau, Chef. That movie's fucking fantastic. And the fact that he made that movie after doing Iron Man, after being at the top of the top, I mean, he's a fucking producer in how many of these uh, of those Marvel movies, man? He's like doing the biggest of the big. And then he comes back to his roots, comes back to what we love about Jon Favreau. For those of you who love Swingers, I love fucking Made. It's one of my favorite movies that he did. And he comes back and does something small, something personal. And you know what I really like about Chef? Chef, to me, feels like an expansion of that one scene from Made. How many of you guys have seen Made? Right? Vince Vaughn, Jon Favreau. Um, Columbo there. What's his name who plays Columbo? I don't like you because you stole my carpet cleaning van. That guy, he's fucking fantastic. But there's a scene in that where Favreau's girlfriend is a stripper and she has a daughter. And Favreau is obviously not the daughter's father, but he has to take care of this little girl. And it just shows his character, who's his tough bodyguard, uh, has a heart, right? And has a soul. So he turns to this little girl who's obviously being neglected and says to her, how would you like some dinner? I'll make you some food, right? And she gives him some snarky comment like, you're not my real dad. And he goes, are you going to bust my balls? Or would you like some pasta? And she's like, I'd like some pasta. And it's a beautifully shot sequence where he's sitting there. He's essentially just whipping up a fresh pasta. He's whipping up like what he says, pot, pasta putinesca. Pot, Jesus Christ, my mouth. Pasta putinesca. 
He's like, do you know what that means? She goes, what? He goes, bad girl's pasta. <laughs> Such a great scene and made. If you haven't seen this movie, go watch it. It's fucking fantastic. Vince Vaughn is at the top of his asshole game in that movie. Um, but I feel like that little scene, it's a very emotional little moment. That scene was just expanded to be Chef. So when you watch Chef, think about that. Really great foodie movie. Love that film. There's a lot of other real good classics, like uh, Big Night Out is another really good foodie movie. I'm trying to think of a... What would be another good... Hmm. I know there's a couple others. Once I get out of this haze that I'm in today, I'll, I'll post about them on uh, Instagram. But to get to the part two of that question, food that I like to eat when watching movies. Famously, I cannot sit down to watch Blade Runner and watch the sequence in which Harrison Ford waits while reading a newspaper to sit down at the noodle cart. And when he finally does, and he's sitting there slurping up that, those noodles, I have to stop that movie every time, either make a bowl of ramen, or if I'm really lucky, get some really thick uh, Unan noodles. I have to. There's just something about that atmosphere, the sound. That's what I fucking want. To the point where before I left Boston, there was this really great bar down in Chinatown. I'm not going to remember the name of it right now. Um, but I love this place. And they had a big old TV behind the bar. And it was designed to look like uh, that set from uh, Kill Bill, the big fight set. Um, and uh, I had talked to the owner at one point, And I just wanted to have one of my film clubs. Like when I get together with all my pals once a month, I wanted to have one of my film clubs there. I wanted to have Blade Runner playing on the TV. And we all sit around and eat noodles. One of the things that I have to eat every time I see Blade Runner. Um, so, yeah. Let's see. What else is everybody saying? I'm adding that list of things I need to watch. Fuck yeah. All right. Well, let's get back into my list of horror movies. Um, and in the while I'm doing this, hold on a second here. Let's just put on in the background a little bit of Power Glove. There we go. Mixing it all live today on the show. So, okay. So, like I said, we've been doing some research for a couple new movies that we're working on, Will and I, right now. And part of it is looking at the structure of films, right? So, we're going back and looking at how films are structured, what, success, what successful horror films uh, were structured as. Um, and one of the big uh, formats that we're playing in is Monster in a House. So, I made a list of 79 movies um, on my Voodoo account. Yes, I use Voodoo sometimes. Fucking Walmart drives me crazy. Um, but uh, let's see, what's on my list right now? Couple of classics that all fit in the Monster in the House genre. Uh, one that uh, is a real awesome old movie called The Frighteners. Have you guys seen The Frighteners? Michael J. Fox. This is Peter Jackson going back and doing uh, horror the way he loves horror and a lot of those ghost effects that you saw in the Lord of the Rings movies uh, when he was in the swamp and all those ghosts those like transparent really cool practical ghosts that they were doing they were developing those on a movie called The Frighteners so look it up let me see if I can actually give you 
a synopsis. This movie was made in 1996 uh, in the sleepy little town of Fairweather. A monstrous evil has awakened, an evil so powerful it reaches, extends beyond the grave. Director Peter Jackson and executive producer Robert Zemeckis unleash a riveting thriller with the most spectacular special effects. Uh, and it stars Michael J. Fox. Um, and it's got music from Danny Elfman in it. So uh, definitely check that out. I'm being asked on Instagram if I can put together this list. I'll see if I can. I'll try to figure out a way to dump this list out. I think I can. So let's see what else is on here. Uh, I want to rewatch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. I haven't done that in a while. That was one of my favorites. I remember uh, the first one being incredibly scary. The second Nightmare on Elm Street just being very strange. Um, and then the third one being Dream Warriors, which had Patricia Arquette, who is still amazing and smoking hot. Um, but uh, this one was the one where the kids had psychic abilities and they fought back against Freddy. You guys remember that? Um, really great movie. Very excited to watch that one again. And let's see what else is on this list. Look, I just watched Sinister again. And I'm not a fan of Sinister. And for some fucking reason, everybody thinks that Sinister is the most amazing movie. I don't know if you guys on Instagram have seen Sinister. Uh, it had the ingredients to be a really good movie, right? Ethan Hawke is in it. Ethan Hawke does a really strong job. I think he's a great fucking actor. He's always been a great actor. And he really kills it. But the movie just falls fucking short. For those of you who don't know, synopsis for Sinister, true crime novelist, uh, Oswald, who's played by Ethan Hawke, is so desperate to repeat the success of his first book that he moves his family into a home that served as the setting of a brutal murder. But instead of inspiration, he finds a box of mysterious home movies in the attic that seem to point to unspeakable terrors. So essentially, he finds a box of uh, murder tapes, right? Like old, uh, what do they call those things? explicit tapes that people would pass around. Jesus Christ. I'm such a horrible fucking host today. Um, and they're supposed to be freaky, right? They're supposed to be scary. You're supposed to be seeing like terrifying stuff. Well, you're talking about a generation that has grown up watching shit on the internet that is fucking god awful. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have watched clips on the internet that have left you scarred. Like absolutely fucking scarred. I know I did. E fucked and all those different websites where I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm giving myself uh, post-traumatic stress just by watching these things. Um, and before that, it was old videotapes. Faces of death. You guys remember the faces of death videotapes? They would throw those around and there'd be footage of like people jumping off of buildings and actually dying and all that sort of stuff. It's terrible. And so this movie is based around a guy that finds a bunch of these tapes in his attic and they're supposed to be God awful. And you watch them and they're just not, they're just pedestrian. You're just like, man, these are supposed to be fucking awful. And I don't expect them to be more gory. I just expect them to be more shocking. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to show it, right? I don't want to see a hacksaw going through the back of someone's neck, but I want to hear it. That's fucking scary as shit, right? And so that was my first real beef with this movie. I'm like, okay, why isn't this scarier? Now, the thing that they did well in this movie was uh it was very darkly lit like everything was barely barely visual 
Like you can barely see it. And so I guess that added to a lot of that element to the film and made it really scary. But then like, what the fuck? The plot runs through and at the end, the end just sort of wraps itself up and it's just sloppy. It's just super fucking sloppy. And look, I, I get it. This genre is um, doesn't necessarily have to be art house movies, doesn't necessarily have to be perfect. I celebrate movies that aren't perfect. But at the end of the day, if you're watching a scary movie, it should be dangerous and it should be scary. It should be fucking scary. And if it's too scary for you, then I'm sorry, don't watch it. But that's the problem, right? Prior to this, when people were making scary movies, it was for a small audience. So they didn't give a fuck. If you watch something and you're like, this is too fucking scary, my kids don't like it. That's great. That's good press. Don't watch it. Because that press alone will pull in the fans that they want, which is the fans out there looking to be scared. The fans that are out there looking for that rush, that, that endorphin fucking push when you see something that's super scary, right? So then I watch this movie and I blow it off, right? I'm like, okay, whatever, not a big deal. Now, Will sends me this fucking article and he likes to get me triggered. That's his move. He sends me this article, new scientific study crowns Scott uh, Derrickson sinister as the ultimate horror movie. Okay. All right. Horror films, like most art, can really be ranked in any sort of subject, uh, as a way to test how good they are. Dubbing a uh, film good, quote-unquote good, is so beholden to personal taste and other outside factors, it would almost be foolish to say that any sort of filmmaking or film ranking system is fundamentally objective. But the UK-based broadband choices has created a scientific study that claims to have found a way to definitively rank the scariest movies of all time, and believe it or not, that film, the film that tops the charts is sinister. Okay. All right. All right. Can we just not? <laughs> Can we just not? Why do we have to make it scientific? Movies are emotional. That's the point. We use a lot of science to get an emotion out of you. Why do we have to do this? The danger in this shit is that these companies that are so used to analytics will look at stuff like this and decide whether or not a movie can get made. It fucking frustrates the shit out of me. Let me continue before I go on too much of a rant on this. As mentioned, leading the way is Scott Derrickson's 2012 horror film Sinister with an average. Okay, so what they do. Let me see here. I might have skipped something here. Uh-huh. Here we go. Here we go. Um, they measure, so they've set up a system. 50 people watch 50 horror films during their time watching. Their heartbeat is monitored. <laughs> As their pulse pounds, the study looks at the biggest highs and the lowest lows and takes an average beats per minute number, which is then determined to the rank. So scary, quote unquote, by this study means the film is able to get your heart beating are pumping faster than normal. Fantastic. And here's the other depressing thing. Look, before we dive into the ratings, it might be said that the study puts The Exorcist at number 17 and The Thing at number 25. Both are well below The Visit at number 10. There's a reason for that. Let's be real about this study here, okay? There's a fucking reason for that. You're studying and examining beats per minute on the heartbeat over the whole period of the movie. 
So I bet, you know who would rank really high on this? Would be Michael Bay. Transformers, I'm sure, ranks incredibly high. Because all he's doing from the very beginning of that movie straight through is fucking hammering you with sound effects, score hits, fucking camera shit. Your eyes are pulsed. Your eyes are fucking going crazy. You're trying to examine everything that's going on, on the screen and your heart rate is fucking through the fucking roof. Is that what a movie's supposed to be? I bet you if you strap that shit on someone on a roller coaster, you'd get through the roof. Do you want a movie to be a roller coaster for an hour and a half? Is that something that you guys want? Ridiculous, right? And those movies like The Thing and The Exorcist have a lot of build. So without quiet moments, without the ability to build dread, without the ability of like bringing you into the world and letting you feel it and smell it and immersing you in this place that's creepy, then how can it be truly fucking scary? Right? And I get it. I get why um, his movie, Sinister, was ranked high in this because most of that movie, he was pounding you in the face with score and with sound effects and he had everything so darkly lit. So like when he went to the refrigerator, you were just like, what's in the fucking shadow? 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 But it, it just didn't add up to anything. So does that make it a scarier movie than The Exorcist? Right? Does that make it a scary movie than Hereditary? Why do people feel a fucking need to do this stuff? It makes me so mad. The ultimate horror movie, beats per minute. Okay, let's see. What else is testing on here? So number two was Insidious. Number three was The Conjuring. Uh, number four was Hereditary. Okay. Number five was Paranormal Activity. Number six was It Follows. It Follows has an amazing score, an amazing driving soundtrack. That really does it. Number seven is The Conjuring 2. Uh, James Wan is really good at that shit. Number eight is The Baba Duke. They all fit the same shit. Number nine is The Descent. And number 10 is The Visit. Then as we continue, 11 was The Ring. 12 is The Quiet Place. 14 is Halloween. It's because they're from another time period. They have different pacing, guys. 16 was 28 Days Later. Hush is on that list. It is 19 and Scream is 20. And then it goes on and on. <sighs> well, Will, you triggered me. <laughs> you triggered me on the show. God damn it. Um, look, like they said at the beginning of this article, films are all of, they're, they're very much from the perspective of who's seeing it, right? That's their thing. That's what makes them scary. Hopefully there's something that you identify with, whether it's the main character or maybe not. Hopefully you're uh, interested in being immersed in the world. Maybe you just like to get lost in a scary space. And you go back and you look at scary movies from the beginning, right? Back to that list that I was talking about of my research. A lot of the movies that I have on my list are prior to the 70s, right? How many of you guys have seen The Tingler? The Tingler, right? The original. 
the king of original horror, Mr. Vincent Price and The Tangler. He also has another movie, which is one of my favorite horror movies ever, which is Last Man on Earth, which was then remade to be Omega Man, and then remade to be the Will Smith one, I Am Legend. And there's a whole story I might have talked about on the show where actually Ridley Scott was supposed to do a version of that movie before Will Smith got his hands on it that I wish happened because it was going to star Arnold Schwarzenegger. Think about that. Let's see, what else is on my list here? I'll go through this kind of quickly. I'm not going to talk about all 72, but I'll try to post it. I watched The Relic again, um, which is basically Alien in a Museum, uh, starring the amazing Tom Sizemore. Fun movie. You should check it out. That was in like the late 90s. Uh, Phantoms with Ben Affleck. I have to watch that again. That's on my list. Halloween 3. It's been a while since I've seen Halloween 3. I'm going to watch that maybe tonight. Um, Insidious. I fucking really enjoy the Insidious movies. I think they did a great job with those. James Wan, once again, killing it. Killing it. His fucking horror movies. I think The Conjuring is fantastic. I love The Conjuring. The second one's pretty good, but the first one I think is fucking phenomenal. And talk about a jump for him, you know, from making like gore porn stuff with the Saw movies. And he had a couple duds in between, but he really found his footing when he did Sinister, or when he did Insidious and he did uh, The Conjuring. Uh, really great movies. Uh, and I've, I've actually met with those guys and they're really cool. Uh, let's see what else. There's that movie. There's a movie called The Monster, which I really fucking wanted to like. And it kind of fell apart at the end, but it's an A24 hit. Uh, and the logline for it is a divorced mother and her headstrong daughter must fight for survival when a terrifying monster attacks them after their car breaks down on a deserted country road. Everything about this, the trailer about that movie had me hooked. Check it out. The Monster you might, I have to watch it again. That's why it's on my list. When I first watched it, the issue that I was having with a lot of the early A24 horror movies was I didn't feel like the third act ever paid it off. They always had such a great amount of trailer meat. Um, but then when you go see the movie, it's like, what comes at night? It comes at night? What is it? What the fuck? And that just didn't, it didn't come through. I remember when I saw that movie in the theater um, uh, called It Comes at Night, if you guys didn't catch that. Uh, there was this guy that was sitting in front of me and the movie ends and the credits roll and the guy just stands up and just screams, what the fuck? And he just he walks out of the theater. <laughs> oh, I mean, talk about a reaction. I'd love to get a reaction like that. Let's see what else is on my list. Quickly here, Quiet Place, I have to watch again. I tried watching scary stories to tell in the dark. I know it's made for kids, but it's the most vanilla. Like I was saying earlier, the Witches was made for kids back in the day, in the 90s. And that movie was fucking scarier than scary stories to tell in the dark because it's so vanilla. It's so pasteurized. Um, watched uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer again. That movie is trash, by the way. Don't bother watching that again. It does not hold up. World War Z I watched again, and I enjoyed it. Uh, that movie is loose in sections, but I really enjoyed Brad Pitt in that movie. Um, and I like the scale and scope of that um what am i seeing here i just my eyes just caught what's going on here on an instagram live vincent price aka bill Hader. <laughs> i have not made that reference that's fantastic i love fucking bill Hader. <laughs> uh let's see what else is on my list here um cujo fucking really fun movie 1983 based upon stephen king's book about the, the killer dog 
Uh, really great movie. And surprisingly, I would assume that the people that made Monster or the Monster watched the fuck out of the Cujo, right? Totally is influenced by Cujo. 100% influenced by Cujo. Uh, let's see what else is on the list. Slither, I got to watch again. Love that movie. Um, Kill Baby Kill, 1968. Very excited to watch this movie again. Uh, 19th century uh, European village is haunted by the ghost of a murderous little girl. Made in 1968. Um, this is one of those movies that influenced like Rob Zombie. And a lot of uh, Rob Zombie's uh, music was influenced by this. Uh, let's see what else is on the list. Uh, Village of the Damned. I'm going to watch the original, which was uh, made in 1960, which I'm very excited about. And then I'm going to watch the remake, which was made in 1995 by the genius John Carpenter. Um, it's got a low rating. It's been a while since I've seen it. Who's in it? Christopher Reeve is in it and Christy Alley's in it. Yikes. Uh, so we're going to watch that one, see if that one's any good. Uh, let's see what else is on our list here. Uh, Gremlins, love Gremlins, seeing that again. I'm going to watch The Deep again. I don't know if you guys have seen The Deep. Uh, this movie came out in 1977. Nick Nolte leads a cast of people. And it's kind of like the horror version of The Abyss. Although this came before The Abyss, essentially. Lavish suspense-filled film was made uh, based upon a best-selling novel. Uh, the two characters are on a romantic holiday in Bermuda when they come upon a sunken rep wreck of a World War II fighter. Near it, they find uh, morphine. What the fuck is going on here? One in tens of thousands still aboard the wreckage ship. Their discovery leads them to a drug dealer, an old treasure chest. Maybe it's not the movie I thought it was. Okay. Fascinated. Gonna have to watch that again. I also watched The Ghost in the Darkness again, which is essentially Jaws on Land. A great movie starring Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer. It has a lot of issues with it, but I fucking dig it. It's really cool uh, about a team of people uh, that have to build a railroad for England through uh, Africa, and they're hunted by killer lions. Fucking really cool movie. Um and then I'm going to watch some of the classics, like The Birds. That's on my list again. I'm going to watch that. Um, and there is a movie that I haven't seen since I was a child called Them. T-H-E-M exclamation point. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this was made in 1954. Uh, Logline is, Humanity confronts its most awesome challenge from a hideous uh, horde of gigantic ant mutations spawned by atomic fallout. Apparently, this was all influenced around the same time that they made Godzilla. Uh, a goldie oldie and a horror landmark, uh, bristling with tension, thrills, and special effects. I cannot wait. That is on my list. So that's just some... I'll try to post this list to you guys. Um, but uh, I know you guys were asking what horror movies have I been watching? What horror movies am I watching this month? What are you guys watching? Like I said before, definitely go tune in to me on Instagram at Mike Petschy or the podcast at Love of the Process Pod. That's Love of the Process POD on Instagram. Leave me some notes. Leave me some messages. Uh, what are you watching? What are you excited about? Uh, and to wrap up the horror segment of today's show, let's play some more Power Glove. 
another EP that came out in 2019 called Throwback. And this track is called Nightmare.
How fucking cool. Right? So you can see why I fucking dig these guys. You can see why I fell in love with this band. Um, and uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Sort of this uh, music journey with me through one of my favorite bands that I know a lot of you guys have never heard of before. I hope it stirs some curiosity. Uh, as you know, if you've been listening to this show, we are deep into the synthwave, new retrowave vibe. I've been doing it with Code Electro since the beginning. Um, but uh, we've got all sorts of new people giving music to the show, and I'm very excited to have been able to play Power Glove for this episode. I actually reached out to uh, their management and uh, got permission for this today, which was really great. So big shout out to you, my friend. And I was hoping to get the band on the show, but they are fucking slammed right now. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, uh, but uh, definitely go check out uh, that new show on um, Netflix right now called High Score, right? That, that show about video games and the opening credits that song in the opening credits has been done by Power Glove as well. So these guys are blowing the fuck up, man. I'm telling you, like the Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon uh, soundtrack really put them on the map. Um, they did another Trials of the Blood Dragon again in 2016. Um, and everything that I've been playing for you is just a piece of their stuff, which I think you really love. What I'll try to do is put together addinlovewiththeprocess.com. I'll put a link up for a Power Glove Spotify playlist with all my hits, with all my favorites. We'll throw it up there. Uh, big shout out to these guys. But if you want to know more, if you want to see the cool stuff that they're working on, if you want to sort of dig into their aesthetic, uh, head on over to powergloveaudio.com. Uh, they have a really cool uh, trailer for their... Um, throwback Halloween release and it's fucking awesome it's made of all this old footage from really great old movies um, really love their stuff I actually got really nerdy during my drunken night last night and I went and I found some of their stuff on vinyl I spent too much money on it but I found some of their stuff on vinyl mm. so I'm very excited I did what I I'm always giving shit to Gina for late night Amazon purchases <laughs> uh, but uh, in my defense it's hard to find these fucking albums in stores so yeah i had to buy them online uh so i hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and we have a lot a lot of great episodes coming up uh this season season three is in full effect full swing um very happy with the lineup that we have uh, i was just talking off air here that uh next week we're fucking slammed I think we have an episode that we're recording every day next week. Uh, and it ranges the gamut. Like we uh, give you guys a bit of a teaser. I mean, I don't know when this episode's going to come out. You've either heard it or you haven't heard it yet. We actually sit down with the Tarantino's producer and do a whole episode about producing. It surprised me that that was our first time doing it. Uh, so very excited about that show. Um, I've got uh, brand new technician shows. We talked to Amazing Colorist. Uh, we've got all sorts of stuff lined up. So uh, continue to subscribe to the show. And please do me a favor, if you haven't done so already, head on over to our YouTube channel, right? At YouTube. Uh, there's a link below. Subscribe to us there, please. Even if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, go subscribe on YouTube. 
we need to get our number of subscribers up past a thousand on YouTube. And it's been tough because everybody listens to this podcast on whatever device that they've been listening to it on for the past three years. I get it. Head on over to YouTube and subscribe. Support us. Subscribe over there uh, and get ready because we'll be putting out video content on YouTube as we push our way out of this bullshit that we've been trapped in for over a year. Um, but other than that, I really don't want to hang you guys up, man. I appreciate you listening to the show. I'm going to leave you with a brand new Power Glove track, 2020. The song is called Brain Jack, and I cannot wait to release it to you guys. Once again, thank you to Power Glove. Thank you to Power Glove's team for letting me do today's episode, and I hope I can convince you to let me use some tracks in the future. Uh, and I know my fans really dig you guys. I've been talking to people as we've done it on here live, and everybody's like, holy fuck, I've never heard these guys before. So uh, I'm so happy to be able to introduce the listeners to some of the music that has been influencing me for fucking years at this point. I don't know why it took me so long to do this. Um, so once again, thank you everybody for listening to the show. And let's leave you with a banger. Thank you again. And uh, I will see you next Tuesday.